the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Pastor Doyle Jackson, and you are listening to 98.9 FM, The Answer. I'm in for Bruce Hooley today, and uh, if you'll hang on, you'll get to hear Bruce for yourself. Let me ask you a question, Vince. Yes. Do you ever watch 60 Minutes? Uh... No. Yeah, it's been a long actually, time. it's a show I can watch without oh, cable good. in rural America. It's excellent. But I'm generally at church on Sunday night, and so I don't get to watch it. So I think Bruce is going to talk about that. He actually caught it last night, and Merrick Garland was on. And so uh, that's going to be a little bit of what we're going to talk about right now. Bruce, welcome. Hey, thanks, Vince, and thanks, uh, Doyle. I've really been enjoying uh what I've heard of the show so far, I have to say that uh, thank you, first of all, for sitting in for me and stewarding my audience. And I love the fact that we have an array of people who uh, have been on my show before that I know will steward the platform in the way that I uh, endeavor to do that. Uh, I've said to my listeners before that I pray every day prior to this uh, little answer situation that I would steward the platform in a way that would be glorifying to God, framing truth um, through the prism of Scripture. And I never have that concern with either of you guys or with Jack Windsor. So thank you for doing that, first of all. Thank you. And a a big part of of also doing an entertaining radio program is being engaging and identifiable. And I have to tell you how amusing it was for me to hear uh, you guys interact on your own personal start, or at least Vince's personal thing, that the first time he remembered using the internet, and I was curious, Doyle, you're much closer to my age, although much younger than me, what is the first time you remember, I'll give you my memory, and then maybe you have something comparable to it, I remember my first, like, desktop computer <laughs> was a, pen, a Pentium 75, and the very first thing that I tried to accomplish on it was to watch video of from the O.J. Simpson trial in 1994. Oh, wow. I just, just remember on a dial-up modem, you, screechness, like it sat and sat and sat and sat for literally an hour and none of the video would load. So that's my first <laughs> vivid memory of, hey, Dad, when was your first computer? What about you? Do you have a memory of that? Oh, wow. So, well, first of all, I, I figured you were calling in to say, take them off the air. They've wrecked my show. <laughs> And that was what I was thinking you were going to call in about. Not at uh, all. No, at all. no. Well, thanks. Uh, so, wow, I have a, I actually have a really long-term history uh, when it comes to computers. So I went to a, a small private school, and we had computers. Uh, we They were training us on punch cards in the 80s, okay? Oh, okay. And so we had this uh, small mainframe that they taught us punch cards on, and then we advanced. They bought a whole bunch of Apple computers. Now, they had green screens. Back then, it was just, you know, it wasn't color. And and we learned how to program BASIC on it, 
but um, one of my friends in high school, um, he was, you know, he showed me, he had a dial-up system, and he would log in to the Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, back then, it, it was the internet, but it was yeah. really just a, a message board. And okay. he was messaging people all over. And so he was my one of my best friends in high school, and he was all part of the first generation. He was a com- <laughs> computer science student back in, he was my roommate my first year of college. Uh, that, so that would have been around 1984, 1985. Um, I, had a, I had a laptop, and uh, it cost me $2,500 when I was in graduate school. And, um, but we didn't have the internet. It was the size of his car, by the way. Yeah. No, it, 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 was, it, was, it was truly a laptop. Uh, but... Um, the, the, well, that's interesting. I was let's, using. Let, I, let me. You'd set up the. You'd set up the uh, sixty minutes thing. Yeah, the the Garland yeah. thing. So what? Yeah. What? Let what me, did Garland say? And what okay, well, let me give him a little perspective here, and why I'm why I'm working toward the Garland thing is because one of the first things that I thought in my mind as I sat in hospital after hearing the surgery was impending, and you know there was going to be treatment ahead, was okay. What is God telling me about using this platform I have now? And how can I use it better? And is talking about the things that I talk about, political solutions, does it have worth? Have I been focused on the wrong things? So I've been really dialing in on that. And what I've noticed, and I think saw again last night with the Merrick Garland interview, is political solutions can be one better than another, but political solutions are not the solution. We all know adherence to the truth of Scripture is the solution. Our country's not there, but it doesn't mean we're not supposed to be in the world. We're just not supposed to be of the world. So how can we be obedient to God, and how can we walk out our faith and make faith positions known to hopefully draw people to our not to our position, but to God's position. And I got an insight into this um, way of doing it. When I was in the hospital, and I told this the other day, I had an ICU nurse who, 25, just, I'm in the healthcare field, and I'm pro-abortion because people should have choices and all this kind of stuff. And what I realized is, I vehemently disagree with your position, but you're not a monster. <laughs> And I should, if I have the truth on my side, be able to position that truth so you can see the error of your position and perhaps amend your position based upon what God puts on your heart, not me. So with that frame, I'm watching Scott Pelley and Merrick Garland last night, and the first thing I've got to say is Scott Pelley has at some point in the last few years progressed to the point where he's become Ron Burgundy. I mean, it really is like what a self-important gas bag. And Garland goes into this long point about we don't, you know, the Garland line is what? Without fear or favor. We're down the middle. We don't add advantage. And all of us on the right side of the aisle are like (laughs) comparing our Hunter Biden, you know, double standards. And I'm, I'm expecting Garland to say that. He's partisan. Okay. Kelly's job as a journalist is to say, but what about? And we don't have journalists on either side of the aisle anymore who say, but what about? 
and the failing of journalists saying or failing to say what about is that that enables the public to be better managed and more easily deceived. And we all know where deception stems from. It stems from Satan. So I'm not trying to make like Democrats are evil and Republicans are evil. What I'm trying to say is we need to get back to a truth position. And there is no place where a truth position is more relevant in the state of Ohio and now in the nation because we're the only such state that has this in front of us on the pro-life issue in November. So when we come back and start, uh, well, I guess we got a couple more minutes here, but, but my point on this is that it's very essential to me that this is an issue we need to win on. We need to win on this because we need to protect life. And how can we go about doing that? And what troubles me is that I see a lot of people who would say they are seeking after God and want to please God who are afraid to take a strong position on life or who are hesitant to even advertise their position on life because they are adherents to what I'm sure a guy you know uh, and admire just like I do, Vody Bauckham calls the 11th commandment. And the 11th commandment is thou shalt be nice. And we've figured out uh, we've we've gotten up, we've gotten it to a point in our country where if we say true things, whether as journalists, whether in Scott Pelley's role, whether in my role or you guys' role sitting in for me, if we say true things, and those true things make people think about hard things, they are deemed not to be nice. But that cannot be a firewall, a deterrent, a stop sign to us saying those true things, because we have to remember that the conviction that comes from saying those true things is a matter left to God's Spirit, and if we don't do our part in saying the true things in love, patiently, I can much better frame my arguments. I should have asked that young woman in the hospital what are your dreams? Do you envision having a family? How do you think that will happen? What value? Why will that baby have life and why would another? There's a way to have the conversation right. Yeah. There's a way to have the conversation wrong. I'm seeking that discernment. And when we continue, I'd like to pursue that with you further. Okay. Well, that's great. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where I can't remember who said it. Like I, There's this quote that says, you know, people will remember what you say, but they'll never forget, you know, how you made them feel. So I think that's an important point that I'll have to jump off on when we get back here with Bruce Hooley at 98.9 The Answer. You got Doyle Jackson, and I am Vince Tornado. We'll hear more from Bruce and discuss further in the next segment. So stick around for about four minutes, and we'll hear more right here on 98.9 The Answer. It's the Bruce Hooley Show. You are listening to The Bruce Hooley Show on 98.9 FM, The Answer. My name is Pastor Doyle Jackson. I'm filling in for Bruce, and I'm here with Vince Tornado. Uh, Yes, and by the way, the double back real quick to our segment about Gavin Newsom. He was going to appoint a replacement for Dianne Feinstein. Uh, It is Emily's List President uh, LaFonza Butler is going to fill that Senate seat. 
Uh, and then, of course, there'll be oh a, uh, a re-election process in uh, 2024. So she'll be so in that I place. was totally wrong about Larry Elder. Yeah, Larry Elder, uh, yes. unfortunately, <laughs> was not selected by Gavin Newsom. But we do have Bruce in the line, and and uh, and, and we were talking about uh, engaging in truth-telling conversations with folks, getting them to think. Uh, but, Bruce, I think— um, Hey, you just know, a second. I want to say something. Uh, okay. A lot of you really care about Bruce. You've been praying for Bruce— and if you have not heard, if you'll go to BruceHooley.com, you can keep up on how he's doing, and uh, he'll put stuff on his blog post regularly for you to know how he's doing. And it's good to have you with us, Bruce. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for uh, for mentioning the blog. I really do want people to read it. I, I would be welcome to anybody who could tell me how to distribute it more, because I really am focused on helping people. Today's blog, uh, the newest one that just went up, I answer the question. Everybody always asks me, how are you doing? And I'm like, I give the same answer every time. I'm awesome, and I'm energized. And I'm energized to use my talents for the furtherance of the gospel through the prism of us talking about issues like we're talking about right now. Yep. And when I talk about having these conversations, one of the things that I think I can do better going forward is have deeper conversations, long-form journalism-type things, and so that we can reach consensus with people we hopefully disagree with and hopefully advocate for God's truth in the process of that. And I had an opportunity yesterday to try to forge that conversation, and it doesn't appear it's going to happen, and it underscored to me how difficult this is, how polarized we are, even when we share the apparent same end goal. If I could give you a little backstory, Saturday I spoke at a memorial service for a dear, dear friend, which I'll be writing about more in the blog this week, and he's someone that everyone in central Ohio will know because he took one of the most iconic Ohio State photograph, all photographs of all time. I will have that story for you later in the week. But at his memorial service Saturday, unbeknownst to me, was, and I want to be careful here because I'm not in call-out mode, but I have to give a little bit of detail, was a gentleman who used to work at the Columbus Dispatch and now works in local television. And he came on my radar Sunday morning because he tweeted something very heartfelt. It was very Christian-oriented. And I was convicted in my spirit that I had not always engaged with this gentleman in the most godly way. I had hangs out. That's my failing. So I approached him on a social media comment and said how much I appreciated his heart tweeting this. We clearly have had our disagreements in the past. I would love to engage with you and do better. You could understand me. I could understand you better. And perhaps our conversation could uphold these themes that you just advocated for that could help our community. Because our community is broken with crime and with all kinds of dysfunction and could we do that? Could we? He has a platform. He has a television platform. I have a radio platform. I envision a long conversation where we exchange. We won't argue. We don't. Have to, it's not a stupid Republican debate format. It's a. And the response that I got back from him broke my heart. The response was this: Christians should be united on the essentials while recognizing that striving towards such an objective itself can bring disunity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. All things, in all things, love. 
this is the Vodibacum, thou shalt be nice. We are not, this is how I have to find a way to thread this needle and have these conversations, is that Christians should be united on essentials. I agree. Yep. While, but the back part, while recognizing that striving towards such an objective itself can bring disunity, the problem becomes when we become the arbiters of what is right and wrong, and we have to get to the point where we all, because this is the only way our world will get to this point, is we have to recognize that God has made clear in his word what is right and what is wrong. One of the things I said at my friend's memorial service Saturday, which this gentleman heard me say because he was there in attendance, was my friend Neil prioritized raising his sons to be godly men. My friend Neil asked me several weeks before his death to speak at his service and talk about the importance of raising your sons to be godly men. And a part of that is to tell them something that a lot of people would say drives disunity, which is there is right, there is wrong, there is a clear line that defines the two, and God defines that line. We don't. Yeah, I, I think I think it's exactly true that God defines a line, and he, he expects us not to go beyond that. But we've had people for... For the last 120 years in America that have tried to uh, use Christian as a term uh, when they don't believe in the Christian principles. For example, we have people that claim that they're a Christian, but they don't believe that the Bible's the Word of God, okay? Yeah. It's so, um, yet they want to continue to wear the mantle, the, the robe of Christianity. And, so I and, have a question for, like, guys like that, you know— you and I are probably thinking of the same pastor in town. It's the Washington Gladden social justice movement. If Jesus and the scriptures were about curing social justice ills, leveling the playing field economically, all that, Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth, and as far as I know, even his critics, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, did not dispute that he, did, that he raised people from the dead. They didn't dispute that he ended sickness. They didn't dispute that he turned water into wine and brought people, you know, stomachs filled from five loaves and two fishes. He clearly demonstrated the ability to right every societal ill. And if that's the fix now, why didn't he just do it then? He clearly had the ability to do it. That was clearly not the fix, then, nor is it the fix now. He wanted us, he wanted us to believe in God and the kingdom. And, yeah. and, and so it was a bigger deal than that. You know, uh, I think it's it's really important. I, I think the the problem that we have right now is we're not we're not having the conversation, and and that's what you you started out with. So I'm let's talk a little bit. It. Let's talk a little bit more uh, after this break about how we have that conversation. Uh, I can give you some insights from me, uh, from my experience. Uh, it's good to have you with us, Bruce, here on the Bruce Hooley Show, ninety eight nine FM, the Answer.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.